0: The hardest thing to do as a minister is to actually move church. Um, You've got to leave behind a whole lot of relationships that you've built over many years, lots of love and care and affection over a long period of time. And particularly in the United Church, I don't know if it's because of our Methodist roots or what it is, um, uh, we we don't necessarily honour well the ministers after they've gone. And uh, part of what God's been uh, sharing with me is to move successfully into the future, we've got to lift up and honour the past that God has done in that in that way. And so we're going to be spending a couple of weeks on the past, uh, and then looking into the future. And so I've invited Naomi Duke to come, who is the if you don't know Naomi, she was the minister uh, here for five years, and one of the significant ministers along with Scott Button who uh who's laid a significant foundation within the life of this church and so we i I wanted to honor naomi uh uh, she's become a a good friend we've been sitting on some committees together Uh, one day i found myself sitting around the table with naomi josh Shearer, who was here who's taken on my old church and myself we're all sitting around the table and i just said because i just speak what i think um this is kind of weird because we're all kind of in each other's business, if you know what I mean. And uh, and but it's been a delight um, to get to know Naomi a little bit um, uh, better. And I thought I'd invite her back to to share, to to uh, be embraced again with love by you guys, and to to share her heart um, for what she believes God wants to bring to us this morning. So um, Naomi, come on up. And uh, will you give her a a very warm welcome?
1: Good morning. Now, have I got it on? Is that right? We're going with it. This is different since I was here last, so that's going to be interesting how we go with this. That's great. And it's um, fantastic because it's not just that I get to come back and celebrate with Parafield Gardens people, but I see there are some Freedom people as well. And uh, so I began in ministry as a community minister at Freedom uh, down the road in Parallawi, and then when I was ordained came here to Paraful Gardens. So I was thinking about what do I talk about. Barry said talk about anything, uh, which is always a little bit um, crazy. But I thought today that I would talk about grace because that's one of the things that I felt here when I was at Parafield Gardens, that this is a church of grace and I have experienced grace through the, um, sharing life and ministry with people here. Do you want me to grab a hand, mic? All right, we're just going to keep going until they tell me otherwise. Uh, So as a newly ordained minister, uh, I came here to Paraffal Gardens and uh, in that time I really learnt about what it was to be a leader in a growing church and so grace was very important and I am thankful to the people who have shown me grace, especially over the time that I was here at Paraffal Gardens and at Freedom as well. For some of you, grace is a familiar word um, but for some people, it's, it's not so easy to understand grace. Sometimes we talk about grace, but we don't quite know what we're talking about when we use the word grace. And I think part of that is because it's a church word. If you go out into your community and you start talking to people about grace, they may not know what you're talking about. If you talk to them about karma, then they might know what you're talking about. And there's something about karma that I think people like, because with karma, even if you've got no idea what karma is, you sort of know karma, uh, if you do something good, then karma will bring good back on you. And if you do something bad, then karma's going to come and bite you And something bad will happen to you. And there's something we like about that because it works in with our sense of justice, doesn't it? If we do something good, we want good to come back at us. If somebody else does something bad, because, of course, we would never do that, but if someone else did something bad, we would want bad to come back at them to teach them a lesson. The problem is, is karma isn't grace. God doesn't work with karma. God is a God of grace. And so even though we try sometimes to box God into our ideas and to our way of thinking, God is not our puppet. Karma is not from God. God is a God of grace. And grace means that you will receive something that you don't deserve. And don't panic because grace is always a positive word. Because God loves us. As Christians, we believe that we are all sinners. That we have all turned away from God and so what we deserve is death when we disobey God God should have given us what we deserve and what we deserve really was that God should just wipe us all out but that's not what happened because God is love, and God is a God of grace. So instead of what we, getting what we deserved, God sent his son Jesus to earth in the form of a baby to grow into a man to show us how God loves. And Jesus showed us how to love others because that's a form of us showing love to God, is by loving God's people. He showed us how to care for the sick and the lonely. Jesus taught us how to stand up for justice. And he showed us how to be forgiving, how to show mercy and grace. And then Jesus took our sin upon himself and paid the price for what we deserved. Jesus died on the cross for us. He was tortured and nailed to a cross and he took our sin to the grave. And then out of God's grace and love, God raised Jesus from the dead three days later Restoring us, all of creation, back into relationship with God. Instead of getting what we deserved, God made it simple for us to have an eternal relationship with him. Not because of anything we did. Not because of anything that we deserve. But because God is love and he shows us grace see when someone chooses to accept grace to repent from a life of sin to turn toward God it's in God's grace that we experience new life We become a new creation in Christ. As Paul says in Corinthians, the old is gone and the new is here. And that's something worth celebrating. And you would think that if we were people of grace, if we had received the grace of God, that we would also be people of grace. That we wouldn't judge people on their past, that we wouldn't define them by something they did in years gone by. But we do, don't we? We might even describe someone by what they've done or by what they look like. You know, if I said to you, oh, you know, you know who I'm talking about. You know, oh, he used to teach down at Tyndale, got three kids, drives a red car. Oh, you'd all know who I'm talking about. He seems innocent, doesn't it? You've probably described people by something they've done, by somehow they look, what they look like. You might have even described Barry to somebody by something that he's done. Or by something that, a way that he looks. It seems innocent. But what if we started describing people by their past sin? Would we do that? Have you ever thought to yourself, or maybe even said out loud, oh, you know who I'm talking about, you know what they did. You know, I just can't like them after what they did. I, I know it's a few years ago, but, you know. It's awful to think that we would do that, to define someone by their past. But somewhere, that's what we do. Even though they may have become a different person. That they may have changed from who they were to who they are now. And I'm going to talk to you about a person today that I feel we've defined them in their past. The person I'm talking about today is Rahab. Now, you might know Rahab. We often don't just say Rahab, though. When we talk about Rahab, she's a woman in the Old Testament. This might help you if you think, who is Rahab? Rahab, we would sometimes say, is Rahab the prostitute. Or we might say Rahab the harlot. Or maybe even Rahab the liar. And it's interesting because often there are women in the Bible who don't get a name at all. It's just that woman, the woman by the well. And yet here, Rahab has a name... And then we give her some describing words as well, just in case you got her mixed up with the other Rahab. We're talking about Rahab the prostitute. And maybe as I'm speaking, that's triggered for you, Ah, I know who you're talking about. Or maybe if you haven't heard the story of Rahab, you're already starting to make your mind up about who this Rahab is. You might think to yourself, well, we know this story then. She's going to be up to no good. Because that's what happens when we describe people by their past. We create a picture of somebody for somebody else so that that person can make an assumption about them. Now, we do know that Rahab was a prostitute and we first read about her in Joshua chapter 2. It starts this way, then Joshua son of Nun secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now in the story of the Israelites, Moses has led the Israelites out of slavery, out of Egypt and he was supposed to take them to the promised land which was in Canaan But the Israelites, they didn't know God as their God. And so when they got out of Egypt, they started to grumble and complain. And instead of heading straight into the promised land, they ended up spending 40 years wandering around in the desert. And they spent that time learning what it meant to trust God and to know themselves as God's children. And although Moses led them out of Egypt and he lived a long life, he died before they entered the promised land. And so Joshua was raised as the next leader of the Israelites and he had a definite strong command from God to be strong and courageous. So it's Joshua who has sent the spies who ended up staying in the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And maybe they stayed there because there were a lot of men coming and going, so they, no one would have noticed them coming in. It was a place where people could come and rest from battle. Maybe it was because Rahab's house was built up along the city wall, and so it was an easy in and out. But they wanted to keep a low key. But somehow the king found out that there were Israelite spies at Rahab's house. So we read... The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. And so Rahab received this message from the king, but instead of obeying his orders, she lies to him. The woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they'd come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof, hidden them under the stalks of flak that she'd laid out on the roof. So the men, they set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads out to the fords of the Jordan and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. And people hearing this story who know Rahab the prostitute, they might be thinking to themselves, well, what would you expect from a prostitute? Or some people who know Rahab as Rahab the liar would be saying, well, did we expect anything else from a liar? And maybe the first hearers of this story, they're listening to this and they're going, Rahab? Rahab, the Canaanite lying prostitute? What good is she going to be to this story? But then we get to hear Rahab speak of what she knows. We read, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you and when you came out of Egypt and what you did in Sihong and Og and the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage Failed. Because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now I'm reading this and I'm thinking Rahab is a smart woman. Because she's not surprised when these Israelites come walking through her door, she's been listening to people talking. She knows exactly who these spies are. She's heard the things about the Israelites and about their God and she has seen the fear in the Canaanite men's eyes as they talk about what's coming. She knows that there is something different about the God of the Israelites ...compared to the gods of her own country. And she's already thought this through. See, this is a moment where she would need to make a choice. She would need to choose. Is she going to stay loyal to her king? To her country? To her gods? Or is she going to choose to put her life on the line to choose to help these two Israelite spies who are plotting to kill her king, to take over her country and destroy her gods. And she's making this choice only on what she has heard about the God of the Israelites. This is a decision that could cost Rahab her life, but she was so sure of what she was doing that she asked the Israelites not just to save her, but if she could save her family as well. We keep reading, now then please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. And as we read this story, do you think that this is her moment? Is this her moment in life that she would get to save her family? Because it certainly feels like a moment, doesn't it? An opportunity to save your family, that seems like an extraordinary achievement. Because she's just made a deal with the people who are about to destroy her country. When it was obvious that war was about to break out, Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the liar... Rahab, the Canaanite woman, she has saved her family. Maybe her defining word should be Rahab, the hero of her family. If this really was her defining moment. Because we read on, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall, and she said to them, go to the hill so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. So the men did what Rahab told them. And they ended up getting back to Joshua and they said to him, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. And that's the end of the chapter. It's the story of Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the harlot, the liar. Rahab, the traitor, which I don't know about you, but to me doesn't really sound like a story of grace. If we're searching here, maybe we would say, well, grace of God saved Rahab. The grace of God saved the family of a prostitute. It's a little bit hard, though, to think about God burning down a whole city and saving one family. And, you know, if we were to think about it, really, not even a good family, family of a prostitute, family with a bit of a reputation. Why would God do this? She wasn't an Israelite we today would say, well, you know, she wasn't Christian. And so I put it to you, do you believe that God would work through somebody who isn't a Christian? Who doesn't work in a reputable job? Who doesn't fit the mould of being a good citizen? Does God really look beyond your situation and your circumstances and your history and your choices and does he really look at you and see his creation does God just love you do you really believe that you are good enough for God, That you would be good enough for God to send his son to pay the price of your sin so you could experience life free from sin and actually know and experience the love of God. When you see people down the street if you're to look at each other in church or maybe in playgroup, do you see people with a past? Or do you see people who need to know and experience the grace of God? People who need to know that they are loved. See, God didn't look at Rahab and decide to just save her and her family because, oh, Israelite needs a few more prostitutes, Israel. God saw Rahab and he knew that she would be just perfect to be the great, 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 add on a few extra greats, grandmother, of Jesus can you believe that one of my favorite pastors some of you know this Andy Stanley he says your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something that you do but someone you raise the greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do but someone you raise and when Rahab became part of the family of Israel she married a man called Salmon and they had a son named Boaz Boaz married Ruth and they had a son Obed who was the father of Jesse does anyone know who Jesse was the father of? King David and so it goes down the line isn't that amazing a Canaanite woman a prostitute a liar has become the great 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 grandmother of Jesus Not because of anything she's done, but because of God's amazing grace. Rahab wasn't trapped in her past and she wasn't defined by God, by her sin. Rahab was created for a purpose far beyond her own plans and ideas. Rahab stood up for what she thought was right and she chose to stand for God and that choice could have meant losing her life but instead it meant new life for her. It meant new life for her family but it also meant new life for us. Because her great 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 granddaughter gave birth to a child, Emmanuel, God with us, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Light of the World, Jesus. Not because she deserved it, only. By God's grace did she experience new life. Only by God's grace do we experience new life. That we can be called children of God. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 verses 6 to 8. You see at just the very right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is good news. This is news that needs to be celebrated. And I saw actually on Facebook how you have celebrated just recently through baptisms. And I want to keep encouraging you, if there are still people who haven't made that commitment to be baptised, I want to encourage you to pray with someone, go and speak to Barry. Talk to him about what it means to know the love and the grace of God. Because when we are baptised, we are resurrected as a new creation. Your old self goes under the water and your new self comes out. And it is a symbol to everybody who is there celebrating with you of the grace, that inward grace that you now experience. Or maybe you want to reaffirm your baptism because it's been a long time since you were baptised. I encourage you to reaffirm the choice that you made to live a life of freedom in Jesus. And maybe if you've done that, then I encourage you to share your story with someone, to share the grace that God has shown you. Maybe if it's in your life group or just over coffee. And of course... Always give thanks to God for his grace and his mercy. Let me pray for you. Loving God, we thank you that you don't see us in our sin, but that you love us and you want a relationship with us, that you have made it so simple for us to turn back to you, to call you our heavenly father and to leave our old life behind. Lord, I pray if there are people here today who still aren't sure that they have experienced your love, that they know your grace, Lord, I pray that they will today feel your presence with them, to feel that love in them and around them, that they may have the confidence to reach out to you so they may hear you say, you are my child. And Lord, for everyone else here I pray that we will have the courage and the confidence to be able to share our stories to be able to share our experiences of you and to share the love as we serve people in our church and our community pray this in Jesus name amen